0: Hello everyone, today's brief episode is a live reaction show in which Jeff Snyder reacts to a newspaper opinion column that he hasn't read before. I'm going to read it out to him. Now, for those of you who have not heard this kind of episode before, it's very similar, in my opinion, to what we saw in the 1970s with the famed French detective Inspector Clouseau. He, to keep his wits sharp, to keep his reflexes ready to go at a moment's notice hired Cato, a martial arts expert and Cato 's job was to sneak attack the inspector at any moment whether he's sleeping on the job at the grocery store and that's exactly exactly what this show is like Jeff is enjoying his day he's writing about the euro dollar and then boom I sneak attack him with a newspaper column and I ask him to react to it Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do more sense. Our show is called Making Sense of the Macroeconomic Picture. Now we're going to do an extra special dose because I was reading a newspaper column by, yes, the one and only Paul Krugman. So I picked up the YouTube phone and I dialed Jeff, and I'm going to, I'm going to read these things out to you, Jeff. Uh, what do you think of these ideas? Tell me if you agree or disagree, you might be surprised. Dear audience, where we go. Okay, it's morning in America. On the economic front, the Senate has passed a relief bill that should help Americans get through the remaining difficult months, leaving them ready to work and spend again. And the bill will almost surely become law in a few days. Economists have noticed the good news. Forecasters surveyed by Bloomberg predict 5.5% growth this year, the highest rate since the 90s I think they're being conservative. So does Goldman Sachs, which expects 7.7% growth, something we haven't seen since 1984. That's a normal year. That's not a creepy year or anything. But then what? I'm very optimistic about economic prospects for the next year or two. Beyond that, however, we're going to need another big policy initiative to keep the good times rolling.
1: Let's. Um, uh oh. <laughs> If they're saying that one dose of stimulus that's enormous is not enough, we need to keep it going. Do you need to always keep adding energy to a system for a healthy system to continue? That doesn't, I mean, we're already, uh, that doesn't sound right. Does it? I mean, this, if the government has to keep injected money into the economy to, in order to keep it growing at even, even a steady, I mean, 5.5% sounds terrific. And it is, it would be the highest since the nineties, but what does it follow? <laughs> you know, you can't just look at it in isolation and say, "Oh, 2021 is the best year we've had because it followed one of the worst years we've ever had." So you would expect high high rates of growth, but it isn't growth; it's rebound. We're trying to get out of a hole that we're already in, and that's really the point. If the government has to keep coming in and shoveling trillions in cash into the economy, just hoping that a couple of hundred billion of it show up in GDP, then Something's not right, something's actually broken, this is not optimistic
0: whatsoever. That's right, and I don't believe that Mr. Krugman is optimistic, because the title of this column is, Will Stagnation Follow the Biden Boom? And it was posted, of course, at the New York Times March 8th. So I think there might be some similar thinking, some agreement, and here we we go back to Mr. Krugman. And once the big spending is behind us, we're all too likely to find ourselves back in a condition of, quote unquote, secular stagnation, an old concept recently revived by Larry Summers. I know it's an obscure piece of jargon, but what it means is a condition in which the economy has persistent trouble maintaining full employment, even with ultra low interest rates. An economy subject to secular stagnation will still have occasional good times, but policymakers will find it difficult to offset bad news like the bursting of a financial bubble. This is Yeah
1: and it's it's interesting that he goes back to secular stagnation and then says even though interest rates are low because he I mean he's he's talked about this before especially you know Paul Krugman he he blames his version of secular stagnation on fiscal austerity. For years and years and years, even during the Obama years, he said the government's not doing enough. We can only expect the mon- the Federal Reserve to do so much in monetary accommodation. Remember, it was Krugman who went back to, you know, going back to 1990 in Japan, said the, the role of a central bank is to credibly promise to be irresponsible. So that even then, there's only so much a central bank can do in his formulation. But it's interesting that he's noted this secular stagnation while also saying, well, the central banks have at least been accommodative. accommodative haven't you seen interest rates? They're very low. And so, again, mainstream e- economics, as Milton Friedman said in the 60s, gets it entirely backwards. Low interest rates aren't telling you the central bank has been accommodated, like the early 1930s when interest rates fell, not rose. Interest rates are a sign that money's tight. And so if we think interest rates are telling us something the opposite is of economists, and economists are having a very difficult time trying to figure out what's going on with secular stagnation, At least they see secular stagnation. You know, the answer is right there in front of you. They just don't know how to interpret it. And it's also interesting, and I think, important what what you're saying here and why you bring this up is that he doesn't expect this to change. Yes, the government has come in with massive stimulus, but in his formulation, at least what he he said so far, is that it's going to create what people call a sugar high. The economy is going to go seemingly recover this year, but then what? And again, when you put that back in the context with what happened last year, we're not really recovering. We're just kind of rebounding and it's, we're really arguing about what, to what level
0: we, we end up, we end up rebounding to. I think it's a point of perspective to your former point about the low interest rates, uh, traditional economics, orthodox economics believe central banks are central, therefore they set the rates low. If we didn't believe that the central bank was central, that it was the private banking system, then we would realize they're the ones setting it low and the central bank is following their lead. And I think then maybe there would be a connection of, oh, there's a problem here. Let me continue. This is a bad place to be. There's a growing consensus among economists that the US economy spent most of the decade after the 2008 financial crisis producing less and employing fewer people than it should have. We may, may have finally gotten close to full employment on the eve of the pandemic, but even that isn't clear. Jeff, I know this is the Jeff Reacts Live show, but I've got to react to this. There's a growing consensus among economists that the last decade stinks and it's the worst. A growing now they consensus tell <laughs> now, like, but not yet, Jeff. Maybe, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe, this is, you know, there are real people's lives that are suffering and the jobs that you don't have where you've got them but you don't know if you're going to keep them and your salary is not growing very strongly. And economists, I know we say they're like a couple months late after the recession has officially been declared. This is more than a decade and it doesn't speak very well about the, the profession. No,
1: especially um, since during those, especially, you know, 2017 forward, globally synchronized growth, how they were talking about how this was it. This is the I mean, this is growth is it's a boom. It's an absolute boom. And now many economists are starting to revise themselves and say, well, you know, maybe we're a little bit too rash in our optimism, even though we I mean there's any number of things you could have said. The unemployment rate, inflation, all these other things. But even go back to the secular stagnation thesis again, labor market labor market, Keynes, Keynes had identified in the 1920s, deflationary pressures come out in the labor market first and foremost. So going back to what, you know, Krogman wrote in this article here, when he said that, you know, an economy that can't seem to ever get to full employment and stay there. Why? What is the reason for it? low interest rates, labor market problems, secular stagnation, all of these things are the same thing. They're different symptoms of the same thing, but because we're supposed to believe in economists and their central bank centered model, we can't identify the very thing that's causing all of these problems.
0: Exactly why we find ourselves in this condition is a subject of some debate, but a few factors are obvious a drastic slowdown in the growth of the working age population, reduced investment demand, so did an apparent slackening in the pace of technological progress. And financial markets are signaling that they expect a return to underperformance once the Biden booms behind us. These days, interest rates are in effect a barometer of economic optimism. And these rates have in fact risen as the rescue plan has moved toward the finish line But the rise has been modest, comparable to the taper tantrum of 2013 and minor. Oh, not even comparable. Not even comparable. I mean,
1: it's not, we're not even 2013 or 2017. It's not even close to
0: that. So that's right. That's right. We talked, we did a few shows and we showed some graphs. It's It's literally. But you know, I
1: understand what he's saying is that, yeah, this is, this isn't all that impressive as we've made
0: that point repeatedly. Then he says it's especially minor compared to the 1990s surges. And yeah. we finish off. Well, we before
1: finished. before you fit it, let me just, you know, what he's saying there as far as why the reasons he gave is for, for this underlying secular stagnation are right out of the playbook of Alvin Hansen. Alvin Hansen was an influential economist in the 1930s, and he's the one who came up with the term secular stagnation to try to describe the Great Depression. Because during, as we talked about, I think it was last, well, last podcast, during the 1930s, People really didn't understand what the Great Depression was or where it came from. It wasn't until the 1960s when Milton Friedman's A Monetary History that he he finally came along and said, deflation, money, all these things, that's the reason why the Great Depression was so bad and why it stayed so bad. But before then, during the 1930s, Alvin Hansen said, secular stagnation because growth is a combination of demographics, land usage, and technology, innovation. Basically, I think what this, what Paul Krugman just listed almost point for point and what he said in the 1930s is we've seen demographics fall off because of the 1920s. There was lo- lower birth rates and things like that. It's, it appeared as if technology and innovation had stagnated because we had a, a burst of activity, a burst of, of, of innovation in the early 20th century, and then, you know, sort of matured by the 1920s and 1930s. And underlying that, you know, the United States had used up all, we'd basically gone coast to coast. There was no more land to conquer, therefore no, gro- no more growth from land. So this is why it isn't that the Great Depression is a monetary event. It's that we've run out of all of these things, and so we're screwed. And, of course, the reason I bring this up is because, obviously, that wasn't true. Like the communist argument where they say, yeah. oh, capitalism had run, reached its end. Mm-hmm. That's what Alvin Hansen was saying in a different way is that, look, the America had a great run, but it's over now. And that wasn't true at all. Once they fixed the monetary system with Bretton Woods, Things got better on the other side, especially as the global economy became more integrated, had a globalized economic growth. And pretty much nobody remembered Alvin Hansen's secular stagnation theory until around 2014, 2015, when Larry Summers said, we're kind of seeing the same type of thing here. And we don't have the same type of answers because obviously the central bank has done a good job. Haven't you seen interest rates? are really low. So it can't be like the 1930s. It must be that Alvin Hansen wasn't wrong. He was just early except when we reorient everything we look at the labor market the deflation there we look at interest rates we look at bond yields we look at all sorts of financial indications we can say yeah there's a lot that's like the 1930s including this ridiculous idea of demographics and all these other excuses for secular stagnation the secular stagnation is real
0: but we're getting all of the the, the reasons for it completely wrong as soon as this show becomes successful Will hire an intern at below market rates, of course, so that they can look up which show it was that we discussed this, and then I'll be able to tell the audience live. We're not at. I'm glad
1: you think that we'll be successful enough to hire even a low market intern. That's that's real optimism.
0: I will put it in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen, when we discussed uh, Alvin Hansen and the the two uh, shows that we did on communism, which so echoes our discussion here right now. Let me finish off uh, with Mr. Krugman, here we go. What markets are telling us in effect is that after the boom, they expect a return to stagnation. The answer is actually obvious. A large program of public investment paid for largely with borrowing, although with a case of new taxes too, if it's really big, such a program would do double duty. Macroeconomics aside, we need to spend a lot rebuild our crumbling infrastructure, fight climate change, and more. And public investment can be a major source of jobs and growth, helping pull us out of the stagnation trap. He goes on on the next page to, to say, why is this, you know, why isn't this happening? And it's the kind of, well, Republicans are seven feet tall, they drink blood, they can't be killed, which may be true, but you know, it's not for our show. But that was the macroeconomics section. Jeff, did you know there's a whole podcast, or at least there used to be one, that would respond to Krugman's articles. So I guess we're stealing their uh their, Although, their no their shortage style. of
1: material, right? I mean I mean even what he says at the end is sort of is you have to shake your head is I mean, look, the Trump administration, their quote unquote stimulus was about two trillion. They did another one, another helicopter drop at the end of last year. Now we got another stimulus that's quote, another quote unquote stimulus that's 1.9 trillion. Now, even though the headline numbers are nowhere near the effective amounts that are actually gonna be dispersed, I mean, it's all all, uh, repackaged and remarketed and rebranded to make it look bigger than it is. But even still, these are considerable, the considerable fiscal spending packages And yet one after another, after another, after another, and all it does is temporarily boost uh, output. And I, you know, I'm dubious at that because uh, so far the results of the, at least the ones that have been conducted so uh, to this point have left 10 million American workers outside the job market, as well as 2 million jobs that never had a chance to happen. We're 12 million jobs short of where we quote unquote should be, despite already You know, multi-trillion dollar package, multi-trillion dollar QE, all these other things. So I think there's more to it than that. But at least let's look at this on on the bright side. It's good that at least Paul Krugman and people like him are saying, let's not get too carried away here. And when people like him are not getting too carried away, especially with a Democratic administration in power, which he absolutely adores, I think there's something serious here, something serious to pay attention to when even the people who are most conducive, you know, the guy who complained about austerity during the Obama years suddenly says, hold up, two trillion, that's not enough.
0: So there's, there's really something going on. here. You took the words right out of my mouth, Jeff. That's exactly what I was going to say. Thank goodness. Now, at least there's agreement. If you remember a few years ago. We were saying the economy is not booming. Well, you were saying, it. I wasn't. I was reading that. But people in charge were saying, booming, roaring, stock market, unemployment. I'm glad we're at a point where uh, there's agreement from that corner that something's not right. Jeff, uh, this was my favorite reaction show that you've done and, uh, I hope we can continue doing it and, uh, have a, I'll talk to you later. Have a good weekend. Have a good sure. day. One know thing, you end. know, I
1: think, I think it's important, you know, I hadn't seen this article before and, you know, you reflexively, you think, oh, Paul Krugman, I'm not going to, I mean, this is going to be bad. You know, it's, an, it, there's a lesson there. We, we, you know, just because it's Krugman or Neil Keynesian or John Maynard Keynes, doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to what they say. And, and that's true of Karl Marx, even Karl Marx had some decent things to say, it just you know, you can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater with some of these people. Yes, Karl Marx's philosophy led to some of the worst human atrocities, but his, some of his critiques of capitalism were absolutely spot on, and they remain relevant today. So, you know, maybe a lesson that we need to be more open-minded about even listening to people who, when we hear their name, we go, oh, you know, like Krugman. And, you know, and it's good that if, if we do reach a consensus where people like him and us can agree on
0: some of these big issues, that's a good thing, that's a very good thing. I used to be like that, I used to be political and if it was Keynes, then I can uh, especially Marx. But more recently, maybe about five years ago, I became more pragmatic, I hope, and I changed and I heard some, some of the ideas from Marx and I realized, you know, that's not bad at all. And just as you said right now with Krugman, I think there's a lot of agreement there between the Urdal More agreement university. than not.
1: Absolutely. There's much more we agree on than we not. I think where we disagree is in getting to the, the real nut, the real crux of the issue and why these things are happening and continue to happen. But at least, you know, as sad as it is that moving forward, progress is finally wrecked putting this boom nonsense behind us and realizing that the last, as you call it, the silent depression stops staying silent. Thank you, Jeff. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care, Emil.